do you remember what I asked you to do about two months ago, starting right after or right before Thanksgiving on a Wednesday night? What did I ask you guys to do? Questions. Yes. I asked you to write down questions that you had about the Bible. What did the Bible say on certain topics, certain subjects? And I want to tell you right now, you guys had some hard questions. Some of, well, some of them were kind of easy. Like I had one student ask, what kind of instruments are in the Bible? Okay, that, that was, that's not too hard. We can just read through the Bible or read through different parts and find out what kind of instruments. Some of them were simple yes or no answers. Some of them, you guys are making me work. You're making me study, which is good. Oh, that's okay. I enjoy it, though, because it gives me the opportunity to help you understand what Scripture says about some of these things. And tonight, we're going to look at three questions. And the reason we're going to do three questions is because you really can't separate these questions. The first two, really, when you ask the first two questions, they're asking the third question. You see, the first question that we're going to look at tonight, and I want to read it here to make sure I don't say it wrong. Somebody wrote down, if you die a Christian, but just committed a sin, what happens? You die. Simple enough, right? If you die a Christian, but you've just committed a sin, what happens? What do you think? Somebody tell me what you think the answer is to that question. What's that? You go to heaven? Okay. Anybody disagree with him? No? Anybody? Good job, Mitchell. Why do you go to heaven? Okay. I know a lot of people that say they're Christians. <laughs> okay. 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 We're, we're following logic here. Okay. That's not bad. That is, that is what it asked. You are a Christian. Period. Okay. Are we good there? All right. How about the second question? Let me ask you this one. If you commit suicide, do you go to hell? Wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. What'd you say? You said yes. Why? Okay. You heard it somewhere. Anybody back it up? Why? It's a good question. It's a good question. If you're not, okay. Okay. If you're, so the consensus is, let me make sure I got this right. The consensus is if you're not saved, you go to hell. The answer is yes. If you are saved, what's, what happens? You go to heaven. If you've asked them to give you something that's going to kill you, that's assisted suicide. So yes, it's still suicide. Hey, you, you started dying the moment you took your first breath. You started dying then. So true, true. So here's, here's what you're telling me. Here's what you're telling me. If you're a Christian and you commit a sin right before you die, you still go to heaven. Is that what I'm understanding? If you're a Christian and you commit suicide, you still go to heaven. But if you're not a Christian, you don't. Okay? And then you get into DNR and all that good stuff. Yes, ma'am. Last thing and we'll move on. If we've got some time at the end, we'll stop and ask questions. And I may or may not have the answer. I may have to go back and look at Scripture and get back to you, but I'll do my best. What's that? I'm going to have to answer them? I'll do my best. I will do my best. The third question because here's, here's the question we're really asking with the first two. If you're a Christian and you die right after you've committed a sin, what happens? You go to heaven. If you commit suicide, what happens? It depends. Okay? The question that we're really asking with both of those is the third question. Can you lose your salvation? No? What does Scripture, does, does, what does scripture say? How many of you think No. You cannot lose your salvation. Okay? How many of you think you can? Okay? 
All right, we've, we've got not quite half and half, but we've got a good number here. That's the question we're going to look at tonight. You see, because as, as we look through Scripture, and we're going to go through Scripture tonight, we're going, to, we're going to do some systematic theology tonight. And for those of you who don't know what that means, that means we're not going to camp out on one passage. Now, we are for a couple points, but, but we're going to pull some other Scripture too. Systematic theology is where you look at the entirety of Scripture, and you look at what God says towards a certain subject. It may not give you a definite answer sometimes, but if you look at the entirety of Scripture, you can see what God is telling us about something. And God does that when it comes to the question of whether or not we can lose our salvation. You see, the, the way we answer those first two questions, you guys had it right. If you die as a Christian right after you've committed a sin, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if you believe in your heart and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he died on a cross for your sin and my sin, and you've asked him for that forgiveness, and you're living a life after him, and you die right after you've committed, or right after you've committed a sin, you still go to heaven because you still belong to God. If you commit suicide, if you are a Christian, and not just in name, but someone who actually has a relationship with Christ, you go to heaven. Because see, the answer to the question of can you lose your salvation, the answer is no. But I want to show you why. Because I want, I want us to understand what that relationship looks like. Because when we say, okay, I can do something that is so horrible, that is so wrong, that even if I belong to God, I do this one thing, that can sever that relationship. But you see, that, that tells us something about what we believe about that relationship. And I want to show you what God says about that relationship that we have with him. You see, the first thing I want you guys to see tonight, and we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 2, is that God wants us. God created us. God wants us all the way back in Genesis. God created man and woman. We are the only part of creation that says we were created in his image. We are the only part of creation that says God breathed life into us. But see, God wants us, and it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, the key word we're looking at right here is grace. Grace, by definition, is receiving something you don't deserve. It says that God showed us grace by his grace, not, by, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, salvation, this relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ, there's nothing we've done to deserve that. There's nothing we've done to earn that. There's nothing we can do to ever warrant what God offers us through that relationship. You see, he offers that to us through grace. It's something that we don't deserve. It's something that we can't earn. Now, you see all the time, you see ads out there that says, you know, you can, you can have this free and you can have this free. Or we get phone calls all the time at the house and, you know, you, you've won, I forget one of them, we won like a free, a letter. It was a free vacation or something in the Bahamas. And in really tiny print that you've got to have a microscope to read, it has all these little details about how you've got to spend so much money and you've got to stay so many nights and you've got to pay your way to get there and you've got to pay for another night to stay there and, and all these different things that, that's not actually free. We had a lady come to our house one time when we lived in Jacksonville, wanted to come test our water to show us how bad our water was to see if we might be interested in buying their water softener. 
Now, we didn't have to agree to do anything. She was going to come test it, and just for our time, she was going to give us, was it free movie tickets? Is that what it was? Absolutely free. And then about three hours later, after she has tested our water, and she has given us her wholesale pitch, and she can't understand why Kathleen and I don't really care about the rate of the, the grade of the city water since we grew up in the country and we had well water, and it was a whole lot worse than what we were drinking in Jacksonville. The woman, and, and she broke what, how many glasses? Trying to show us how good her water was, she broke several of our glasses. She had like big man hands, it was kind of scary. She finally came back and we got our movie tickets. But at the beginning, she said it was free. It wasn't free. It cost us a couple glasses, and it cost us three hours of our life sitting there listening to this woman talk. And see, we, we get the mindset that, that in our world, there is nothing that's free. There's always a catch to something. There's always an ad. There's always an offer. You know, you can get a, a mail in the, in the, in the uh, you can get a letter in the mail that says, hey, you've won a free computer, and at the bottom, it'll tell you, you've got to buy a year's worth of cat litter just to get that free computer. You know, I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's, that's the kind of thing we see every day. So our mindset, the way that we think, we are trained to understand that there is nothing for free. But the reality is, that's exactly how God works. God looks at us and says, guys, you don't deserve me. You don't deserve my son. You don't deserve the death that he died on the cross. You don't deserve that sacrifice and that grace. But I want you. I made you and I'm going to give it to you for free because I love you. That's how God works, and that's what's so amazing, and that's what he's talking about here. Even when we do the things that are completely against who God is, even when we sin, even when we hurt him, think about this. Most of you, get your best friend, get their face in your mind, okay? You got your best friend? Now think about this person. Would you want to spend time with this person if on a regular basis they lied to you, they didn't spend any time with you. I'm listening to you over there, Mitchell. You knew before they ever became your friend that they were going to do something to hurt you. Would you still want to be friends with that person? Would you want to spend time with that person? Okay, exactly. If they don't want to spend time with you, why would you want to spend time with them? But see, we do that to God on a regular basis. We know he's there. We've got his word. We know he wants to talk to us. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to teach us. He wants us to understand his love and his grace and his wrath. He wants us to understand all that. But then we say, okay, God, now I've got this part of my life right there. You stay right there. I'll be back in a little bit. God, I've got your word. I know what you want to say, but you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in listening to that right now. So we close it and we walk away. Now, there's times that we, we don't talk to him for a month, maybe even a year. You see, we wouldn't want to spend time with people like that in our own life. But we do those same things to God, and God still looks at us and says, I want you. I want your life. I want to give you what I'm offering, and it's free. And there's nothing you can do for it. There's no way you can earn it. There's no way you can ever deserve it. Because that's how much God wants us, and he offers that to us every single day. He says, when I want you, when you feel like nobody else wants you, I love you when you feel like nobody in this world loves you, I still do. That's the relationship that God offers us. That's what he shows us here in these verses in chapter, um, excuse me, chapter two of Ephesians, verse eight and nine. 
He says, you guys don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But here it is. It's by grace. It's free. And it's what you need more than anything. He wants us so badly that God fights for us. Did you know that? He fights for us. He doesn't just sit back and say, hey, come here. Come here. You know, I've, I've got Michaela. Next week is going to be a year old. And she's finally starting to take some steps. And we'll get her about, what, about two or three feet away from us and stand her up. And she's, you know, she's wobbling and she's trying to figure out how to walk and testing out her balance, swinging her hips. And we'll just sit there and go, come on, Michaela. Come on. Come on. And slowly she'll start to walk and she'll start to make it her way to us. And then she just pops right down. And now we have the option. We can leave her there sitting right where she sat and just leave her there and not work, not work on her, not try and teach her how to walk and just let her stay there and crawl around. She'd be 15 years old crawling around on her hands and knees. Kind of weird, wouldn't it be? But instead, as parents, we've got to go out and we've got to help her. We've got to lift her up and show her how to do it again and again and try to protect her when she falls and get her to that point where she can do this on her own. I see, God does that for us. God, he wants us, and he comes to us where we are. If God left us where we were most of the time, we'd be in some pretty big messes, don't you think? I know I would be. But you see, God doesn't do that for us. God comes and fights for us. Have you ever had something in your life that you wanted so badly you were willing to fight for it? You were willing to do whatever it took to get it? Yeah, I've, I've seen some of these people come out, especially like on Black Friday. You guys ever, did you guys go Black Friday shopping this year? Oh my gosh, you people are nuts. I went, but I did not go at like four o'clock in the morning. I wasn't doing that. I want to read you guys a story about a lady who went shopping on Black Friday. And I want you to see how, how bad she wanted something, how willing she was to put up a fight for it. This was in Los Angeles. It says a mother of three, a mother of three shot pepper spray to keep shoppers from grabbing a video game system she wanted during a Black Friday sale, leaving 20 people with minor injuries, authorities said. <laughs> the incident occurred shortly after 10.20 p.m. on Thursday, since some of the stores opened on, on, on a Thanksgiving night now. Thursday in a crowded Los Angeles area Walmart as shoppers hungry for deals were led inside the store. Police said the suspect shot the pepper spray when the coverings over the items she wanted were removed. Somehow she was trying to use it to gain an upper hand. Police Lieutenant Abel Parga told the Associated Press early Friday. He said she was apparently after an Xbox 360 and used the pepper spray to keep other shoppers at bay. Officials said 20 people suffered minor injuries. Fire department spokesperson said the injuries of at least 10 of them were due to rapid crowd movement. That's fighting for what you want right there. Now, it's sad that it was an Xbox, but this woman, she was so determined to get what she wanted that she pulled out pepper spray and sprayed people she didn't even know just so she could get a cheaper game system for her kids. Now, by the way, she did turn herself in later. I don't know what the cops did to her, but she did get caught. But she was willing to fight. She was willing to do whatever it was necessary to get what she wanted. That's what God does for us. Did you know that? He fights like that for us. It tells us that in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31, it says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You see, God fights for us. Now understand, he's not, he's not trying to get the upper hand in this big cosmic battle fighting, trying to save your soul because he's already won that battle. But for us, it's a daily struggle, isn't it? For us, we battle against sin, and that's why Scripture tells us that we are His children, and He is fighting for our hearts, and He is fighting for our minds in this Christian walk. Because every day we come up against things that try to steer us away from who God is, don't we? Whether it's stuff that's happening in our families, people we meet at work, people at school, Boyfriend, girlfriend, movies, music. We've got all this stuff that comes up in our life and those things distract us from who God is. And God is sitting there saying, no, you're mine. I want more for you than what you're settling for. That's why scripture tells us to put on the whole armor of God. That's why scripture tells us, like we talked about a couple weeks ago before Christmas, that we have to be resolved to wage war against the sin in our lives. Because God... God, in his infinite power and in his infinite wisdom, he knew that he had to do something to help us. Because if we were left to battle it on our own, we will lose every single time. And I know that sounds kind of bleak. That's not a very great outlook, but it's the reality of what it is. If we don't have a God fighting for us, if we don't have Jesus Christ who died on a cross for us, we can't win. God knew that. God knew Jesus had to die. God knew that we had to have a sacrifice because we can't get out of our sin by ourselves. And it says he sent his son. And if he did that, my goodness, how much he loves us. How much he's willing to put up a fight for us. I've, I've seen my boys get into fights. They're not like punching each other, but I've seen them argue over stuff that they want. And until we break it up, they will just go at it. It's what brothers do. I did the same thing with my brother. That's what God's doing for us. Now, Satan doesn't know he's already lost the battle, but you better believe he's fighting God tooth and nail for you. God's doing the same thing. God's coming after us because God wants us not to stay where we are, but to come to him. And when he gets us, he keeps us. He keeps every single one of us. If we come to a point in our life where we say, Jesus Christ, God, I am a sinner, and I can't stop it. I can't do anything about it. And I need the forgiveness of a God who sent his son to die on a cross for me. And right here, right now, I give my life to him. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be his child. In that moment, we are his, and we stay his. It's kind of like my children. No matter what they do when they grow up, no matter where they move to, no matter what job they have, what families they have, my two boys and my daughter will always be my sons and my daughter because they're mine. They can't sever that relationship. 
Yeah, they could get mad at me. They could legally divorce me as a parent. They could take all kinds of measures. But the reality is, they are still my children. And nobody can change that. God keeps us when we become his child. When we come to him and ask him to be our heavenly father, he keeps us forever. It tells us that if we keep reading in Romans, starting uh, in verse 35 of chapter 8. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can take us out of the hands of God. If we have a relationship with him, if we have accepted the forgiveness through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, there is nothing that can take us out of the hands of God not committing a sin before you die, not committing suicide, it can't take you out of his hands. Now, understand, that doesn't give us free reign to live any way we want either. We can't say we're a Christian. We can't say we have this relationship and then turn around and live life however we want to. Forget about what Scripture tells us. Forget about what it tells us about God and how we're supposed to carry ourselves as Christians. We don't get that option. Because if we've truly been transformed, if we truly have that relationship, we're going to start to desire the things that God desires for our life. We're going to want to spend time in his word. We're going to want to live a life that looks more like Christ. We talked about this a couple months ago. I think it was Fall Sports Sunday. The difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is that moment when you become a child of God. Sanctification is the process of you living a life that honors him from now until the day you die. Your sanctification doesn't stop until you stop breathing. It is a life lived that honors God, that seeks after him because he keeps us and because we belong to him. That's why Jesus talks about it in John chapter 20, or excuse me, John chapter 10, verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So to answer the question, if you're a Christian and you commit a sin right before you die, if you belong to God, you go to heaven. If you're a Christian and you commit suicide, First of all, don't let it get to that point. Come talk to somebody. But if you have a relationship with God and you've been forgiven and you know you have, you go to heaven because nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And Paul names a lot of stuff here. And there's a whole lot more stuff that can pull us away from God, that can distract us. Things like gossip and lust and all these different other things that pop up in our life that steer our attention away from who God wants us to be. But those things cannot separate us from the love of God. We can put our attention on them for a while, but that doesn't separate us. 
Because at some point, we're going to realize that's not where God wants us to be. At least I pray you realize it. Now understand this. You can't lose your salvation, but you can fake it. You can go to church your entire life. You can hear thousands of sermons. You can memorize hundreds of verses. You can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ presented millions of times and still fake salvation. You can have everybody believing that you have a relationship with God because you do the right things, you say the right things, you know all the church answers. Jesus, every time you get asked a question, some of you do it, I've heard you, I'm not saying that you're faking it, I'm just telling you. You can fake your salvation, but over a period of time, it's going to show. Over a period of time, what is inside you or what is not inside of you is going to show. It's going to show in the way you act when you are one person at church and you are not that same person the rest of the time in your life with your friends when you're by yourself. There may be a problem there. There may be a disconnect. You can fake your salvation. My prayer for every one of you tonight, every one of you in here, that if I asked you, you'd shake your head and say, yes, I'm a Christian. I belong to God. Is that you're not faking it? Is that you really are his? that there is a moment in your life. And I, I, remember, I was 14 years old when I realized this, that there is nothing I can do to save myself from my sin. Nothing. Yeah, I may get on the right track for a while. I may do the right things. I may say the right things. But over time, that sin's going to come back out. And I'm going to fall into some of those things again. And I'm going to talk ugly to my family. And I do those things. I can't save myself from that. But a God who loves me sent his son, Jesus Christ, sacrificed his own son so that I could come to him and say, please forgive me. Please forgive me for what I've done. And that son, three days after he died, came back to life and he conquered sin and he conquered death in a way that we never could. And God says, I love you, I want you, I'm gonna fight for you, and once you're mine, I'm gonna keep you. That's what scripture tells us about salvation. I know somebody in the past may have told you, yes, you can lose your salvation. That's not what scripture says. And if you've got questions about that or you wanna talk more about that, come talk to me. If I don't know the answer, I'll look it up. Some of those questions you guys gave me, there's not an answer in Scripture. It's just not there. I had somebody ask the question, well, when you get to heaven, what's it going to be like? I don't know. I can tell you what the Scripture says, but I really don't know. I don't know what Jesus is going to look like. I don't know what God's going to look like. Those answers aren't there because some of those mysteries are God's, and we won't find out until we're standing before him. So can you lose your salvation? It's like y'all are scared to answer. No, you can't. If you disagree with that, come talk to me. Now, do you have questions about that? Anybody? Yes. Like like you you were a Christian and now you're converted to, to being a Muslim? Okay, were you really a Christian then? That's what I'm asking. If 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 God is not the driving force in your life, if you're not committed to that, were you ever really committed to that? I've seen, let me, let me, let me. it is a debatable question, but it shows in your life eventually. I've known people who have come to camps and church 
and they have been so excited and so on fire for God, but over the course of weeks or months, they disappear. Do I know for sure if they're saved? Only them and God know that. I can't answer that question for you or anybody else in there. I can only answer it for me. I cannot answer that question for any one person. I can tell you the evidence in their life would say they may not have been if they're that quickly to turn around and jump into something else. But I can't, I can't say that for sure. There's no, none of us can say that for sure. Hold on, we had something over here. Mm-hmm. He's basically saying, I, I would rather you be hot or cold. If you're sitting on the fence, you're not doing anything. You're playing a game. It's like me saying, okay, I'm going to go to church, but I'm not going to do anything, any of the things God called me to do. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to worship him. I'm not going to serve other people. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not convicted by the Holy Spirit. I'm just, I'm, I'm here. I'm a body. I'm taking up space, putting off heat, taking up oxygen. That means you're lukewarm. That means you're not doing anything. And God says, I would either rather you be on fire for me or I would rather you have nothing to do with me than for you to sit right in the middle and do nothing but still say you belong to me. Does that make sense? So get off your tail and do something. (laughs) What's that? Yeah, it's it's what, what scripture in there, it says not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, really belong to me. Said, so go away, I never knew you. It goes back to, did you ever really belong to God in the first place? If you can sit there and have no conviction from the Holy Spirit about what's going on in your life and the things that, that you know God's calling you to do or you think God's calling you to do, if there's no conviction there, then the Holy Spirit's not working in your life. And Scripture tells us if you belong to God, the Holy Spirit works in your life. Yes, ma'am. When you're forgiven, you're forgiven for every sin at that point in time that you have committed or you will commit. You are forgiven. If, if she truly has a relationship and she, she, and again, she's the only one that can answer that question. If she has that relationship and she knows she's been forgiven, then in theory, yes, you can live life however you want. You could die and you still belong to God. What's that? She still has it. She's just turned her back on it. If I'm already in sin, I might as well just go deeper because I'm already here. And I've, I've seen people do that. They'll wander away from God for years, but at some point, they finally decide to listen to the Holy Spirit acting in their life, and it makes a difference in who they are. Right. And then it's the responsibility of the people who know you and know what Scripture actually says to come to you and to speak truth into your life and to help you understand that you're headed down the wrong path. Well, you still belong to God. You may not call yourself a Christian anymore, but you still belong to God. Yes, but that goes back to whether or not there's any conviction in your life. If you're like, yay, go Allah, and you never feel like, okay, I'm not doing the right thing that God wants me to do, then did you really belong to God in the first place? It, it's, it's a hard question. These are all good questions. The tricky part of that is nobody can answer the fact of whether or not you've experienced salvation but you. Nobody can answer it for anybody else. We can, we can come up with scenarios and what-ifs all night long, but nobody can answer that question for you except for you, for, except for that girl who was in that situation or the yay Allah person. Nobody can answer that question, so that's where, that's where it gets a little harder when we get into that. But they're good questions. Miss Tawny, we're getting into predestination now. Here we go. <laughs> that's a good question. We've actually, I've talked to the, with the band about this a lot. 
Um, there's actually, in, in Scripture, it talks about, and we read it tonight, it talks about the elect. And there's, there's other parts of, of Romans that talk about, you know, those who were predestined um, to be with God. That is, a, that is a theological debate that has been going on for hundreds of years. We won't settle that question tonight. Does God knows, God knew before the beginning of time whether or not you were going to accept him. God knew before the beginning of time the people that weren't. If he didn't, he's not omniscient and he's not God. So to say that he didn't know that, we, we run into a problem about the definition of who God is. Now, there are some who have the opportunity, and God says, okay, you want sin. Scripture tells us there are some certain people that wanted sin so bad that God gave them over to what they wanted. He allowed their hearts to be hardened. It tells us that with, with Pharaoh. When Moses is trying to take the people out of Egypt, it says God hardened his heart because Pharaoh was so set on the sin that he was in and denying God's people that God said, you want it, you got it. But he knew that before time ever happened. He knows who's going who's gonna to pick him, who's not going to. It's God's will that everybody will. It tells us that so that none may perish. It, it says it right there in Scripture. But he knows who's not going to. Do I think he denies anyone that sincerely asks him for forgiveness? No, because he knew before the beginning of time that they were going to ask him. Are there people who will never ask him? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, and it's a hard question because there's not a clear-cut answer in Scripture. We see both sides of that argument, and we don't know. I will tell you this, though. I will tell you this. Whether you believe that God has a select few he'll pick or whether you believe salvation is for everybody, it ought to make you the best witness for him that there can be. Because if everybody has a chance, then you have the opportunity to talk to anybody and everybody about who Christ is, and they've got a chance to get into heaven. If there's only a certain few, we have no idea who those are. So we better tell everybody we can about who Jesus Christ is. Yeah. The, the Holy Spirit can stir in someone's heart, drawing them to God, and we can say, we can say no. People do it every day. You're sitting in church and you feel like you're supposed to do something. You're supposed to go up and pray, whatever. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that. You just ignore the Holy Spirit. People do it every single day. Because if he didn't, we'd be robots. Seriously. We'd be just little puppets on a string. If, if, if he already knows and he said, okay, you're going to choose me, so I'm going to make you. Come here. Yeah, it'd be like a shotgun wedding. Here, you're going to be my child you're my child and I'm gonna hold a shotgun to you. No, he knows that when he knows that when he makes the Holy Spirit stir in our life and our heart, he knows that we're going to respond to it. He gives us the ability to respond to it. He doesn't say, no, I know you're going to choose this. So you have to choose this. Then we, we could just say, Hey, we, we came out a Christian because God already picked us. We, we have to come to him because he made us to have a relationship with him. If you look from the beginning of creation, God, before he even created the earth, God is in relationship. He's got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before anything else was ever created. He made us to have a relationship with him. He made us to have relationships with each other. That's why he didn't just leave Adam by himself. He made us so that we could honor and glorify him through that relationship we have with him. That's why, because he, he wants us. Yes. It wouldn't be our choice. And the cool thing is he knows who's going to choose him. That is cool. Yes, ma'am. How many of you would be happy with a prearranged marriage? 
You know what that is? Pre-arranged marriage. Let me explain to you. And this still happens in some cultures. Listen to me. In a pre-arranged marriage, your parents pick out your bride at a very young age. Your parents pick out your bride or your husband at a very young age. They have decided before you ever hit the teenage years, this is the man or woman that you're going to marry when you come of age to marry. It's a forced relationship, right? And I've, I've read news stories of people, people who have committed suicide because they were so distraught and so determined that they were not going to be forced into this relationship. You see, if God created us without some kind of choice, then it would be a forced relationship, just like you were saying. We wouldn't have a choice and a pretty good chance we would rebel against those relationships. When you're forced to do something by some of your teachers that you don't like, you rebel against it, don't you? Or your parents, you don't like to be forced into doing things. Christ says, I'm not, God says, I'm not going to force you, but I know whether or not you're going to pick me. I'm going to give you that choice, but I already know the answer. <laughs> See, God already knows. That's what's cool about it. What's that? Hold on, hold on. You, you guys, y'all are like right up Kathleen's alley tonight. <laughs> Go ahead, Kathleen. No, we're gonna we're gonna have to get out of here pretty soon. It's it's the problem of evil. All of creation, every bit of creation, has been affected by sin. Not just people, animals, the earth itself. All of creation has been affected by sin. That's why we see the stuff that we see, like natural disasters and things like cancers and things like rape and abortion, because it's all affected by sin. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, those things didn't exist. They weren't there because sin had not entered the world yet. And because we have sin, we see those effects. Yes, God could stop those people from getting pregnant, but there's always a consequence for sin. Yes, it may not have been that woman's fault, but there's still a consequence of what happened. There's still a result of it. Can God take that situation and do something incredible with that child and use that child to reach hundreds and thousands of people with the gospel of Christ? Absolutely, he can't because that's the God we serve. All right, we got time for one more question if anybody's got one more besides Rachel. No, go ahead. <laughs> what do you mean? Everything does happen for a reason. We may not know what it is. God can use anything. Any bad thing that ever happens, God can use it. And he has a reason for it. We may not understand it. We may not like it. We may never get to see what that reason is. But God, in his wisdom and his power, knows what he's doing. And he can use those things. Even when we make choices to sin that dishonor him, he can still use that in some way to honor himself and bring glory to himself. Being thrown into a pit, being sold, being thrown in jail, got him to where God wanted him to save his people. All of those bad things, God used those things to get him right where he wanted him so that he could do what God wanted him to do. Could have God just said, hey, I want you to go to Egypt and you're going to be the guy in charge? He could have, but he also helped develop who Joseph was through that process. Okay, guys, these are great questions. Next week, we're going to continue this. Now, again, I will have a specific question we're going to address, but if we got time like we did tonight, we'll ask more questions. If we don't know the answer, I'll write it down. We'll get back to you the next Wednesday, okay? Um, let's sing before we get out of here.
Let's praise God a little bit more. Y'all stand up and let's do some singing.